And now I'd like to invite Van Cochran, our senior pastor, up to give our message today. Yeah. (laughs) And I just want to say about Van that what you see is what you get. He runs the behind the scenes church just like he does the main church. We have staff meetings every Tuesday morning and we spend time worshiping and praying for each other just like we do. So he really does walk what he talks. So thanks. Thanks, Sarah. So what you see is what you get. So I don't know if that's good or not, but here you are. All right. Hey, uh, how, how many people know next week is Mother's Day? Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, someone back there was cheering for Mother's Day. It's going to be a great day. In fact, Sarah is going to do the message next Sunday. She, the, she, just, she was just up front here. And we're going to start a series called Hello, Holy Spirit. That's going to happen next weekend as well. And um, along with that, well, by the way, this is going to be a series that's going to, it's going to be slanted in the direction of how do I live my life in a daily basis walking in the fruit of the Holy Spirit, walking in the life of the Holy Spirit. So it's not going to just be all theoretical stuff, but um, we're also going to have midweek services revolving around the message on Sunday. So come back on midweek, Wednesday nights, and you'll have an opportunity to enter into a little more discussion on the whole thing. Now, I do want to tell you this. I appreciate so much what Sarah is doing in establishing this priority of summer camp for the kids here because it is life-changing. And I just want to say to the parents out there, if uh, the two of you haven't talked about it yet, mom and dad, talk about it and send them. And, And I want to say this, this is more important than going on vacation. Because this, your kid is going to be 20 years old before you know it, and you're going to want them to be walking with Jesus. And, and, and I'm telling you, if, if you don't help them now, then when you get to that point, it's, it's, you, you look back and you say, man, I should have spent the money. I should have sent them. And I know you're not going to have to do that because you're all going to send your kids, right? Right? Yeah. And uh, I think it's worth it to send a kid from down the street to a neighbor or a, a grandchild or whatever. So I just want to toss my, my encouragement in on that. All right, um, many of you know that my son, who's on staff here and preaches often, Wilson Cochran, he spoke just two weeks ago, and his wife, Jen, have been pregnant. That ended on Thursday when they had a little baby girl. So here we are. She's a very sweet little girl with a sweet personality. And it amazes me that at a day old, you can see personality. In, it just amazes me that you can, but you can. And uh, they named her Heya. And Heya is uh, a Hebrew name that means life. So Heya. And uh, she's a beautiful little gal. And uh, we're just so excited to have her in our family. And the, Will and Jen, I want to express their appreciation to all of everyone's thoughts and prayers and encouragement along the way. So we're excited about that. They'll be back here in a couple of weeks, and I'm sure they'll have Haya with them, so you, you maybe will get to see her at that point. All right, so we've been in a series on identity, spiritual identity. And what is identity? Uh, it, it's your nature. It's your core. It is what you actually 
are. It is a, a dog's identity is the DNA of a canine. A horse's identity is different DNA. It's a different thing. It has a different identity, a different nature. And when you come to Jesus and you accept Jesus, you receive a new nature. It gives you a new identity, the, the who you are, the what you are made to be, the what you are made to do, the things that are inclining your heart a certain direction. Our granddaughter, Haya, uh, is, is mild-mannered. She's sweet. She's not, like, fussing a lot, and she's very content. And that, that's part of her nature. Now, don't, don't take that to mean that babies are born with, um, with new natures. They're not. Uh, they are born with the fallen nature. But as, as we live in life and we begin to live out that fallen nature, we all see the desperate need we have for, uh, for God, the desperate need we have for relationship with God. And, and when you turn to Jesus, you receive a new nature. You become new. And what I want to do today is kind of draw this whole series to a conclusion with um, some key thoughts on what it means to be new in Christ. Because really what we've been trying to do is, is just really expand our understanding of the gospel message and the impact of the gospel. That, that's all we've been trying to do is to understand the fullness of what the gospel message is. And I think so often we sell it short. I'm going to read a quote right now from a book called The Gospel in Ten Words. It's going to appear to be radical. It might even appear to be heretical to some of us. But uh, here, here goes, okay? Let's read this quote. Let's have that up there on the screen. There you go. Receive Christ, and you will be as clean as he is, as free as he is, and as close to the Father as he is. Now think about it. Receive Christ, and you'll be as clean as he is, you will be as free as he is, and you will be as close to the Father as he is. Now, for some of us, that might seem like a really extreme statement. In a lot of respects, it is extreme, and it is radical. But listen, the gospel is radical. It starts off with a radical thought that God would love a fallen race of people so much that he would send his son into the world to redeem them. That's radical. It's this radical thought that God himself would become a human being, that the son of God would become a human. That's radical stuff. I mean, how can that be? It's radical to think that a man would face willingly and freely the cross and not just die on the cross, but actually take sin into himself on the cross. That's radical. It's all radical stuff. And when, when we make it less radical then we are dumbing the gospel down. And when we, when we don't recognize that the gospel actually changes who we are, it doesn't just invite us into heaven someday and give us a list of rules to follow until we get there. The gospel changes who we are. And it, it, it follows this idea that makes us as clean as Jesus, as free as Jesus, and as close to the Father as Jesus. I'm gonna give you a real short quiz just answer this yourself for yourself internally. And um, they're true or false questions. But it kind of gives us a little bit of an assessment. And then I'm not even asking you to respond on the basis of what theology you know. But just how does your heart inclined? 
How do you think you relate to God uh, on the basis of some of these questions? True or false? God forgives me if I promise to do better. How many of us feel like that's the truth? God forgive, like I've sinned and, and I'm, and, and I am sad over that and despondent and I'm, oh God, please forgive me and I, I, I will do better. How many of us think that way? Okay. Or this, God forgives me if I promise to make up for my sin. God, I did this. That's like an eight on the sin scale. I'm going to do something that's a nine on the good side, on the righteous scale to make up for it. Uh, how about this? God loves me more when I serve him. Or God loves me more when I'm being good. Let me ask this question. How many of you have ever had something happen in your life that was an unhappy thing? It, it could have been just, it could have been a small pain or it could have been a huge pain. And you asked yourself in the midst of your pain, God, what did I do? Have you abandoned me, God? Why is this happening? To to any of those, if I've answered yes to any of those, then I'm I'm to some degree buying into a distortion of the gospel message. Because the gospel message is not based upon our promises to God. It's not based upon our ability to do better. The gospel doesn't come out of our our, um, strength or our service to him. The gospel message is rooted in the love of the Father. It starts right there. And actually, that's the totality. It's all motivated by the love of the Father. In fact, in Romans 5, 6 through 8, here's what we read. And we're going to look at this verse because I want to make sure that you recognize that God didn't love us because... Uh, I, I read a guy, um, a guy talking about marriage, and he said in premarital counseling, he'll ask the couple, why do you love the other person? Why do you want to marry them? And he said, oftentimes the guys will say, well, I want to marry her because she loves me so much. And he said, that is such a wrong answer because it's so self-centered. And, and it's not, well, I, I love this about her. I love this trait, this character. And, and, and so it's, it starts with God's love. It starts with his love, and it's founded on his love. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says this. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And then it goes on to say, people don't generally die for others, but sometimes a person will die for a good person. And then he goes on to say, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. All right, what that means is God loved you when you were powerless. That means before you came to Jesus. God loved you when you were a sinner. God loved you when you were ungodly. And ungodly means against God. That's what's the word. Even when you were in a position of life where you might have known there was a God, you might have hoped there was a God, you might have even wanted to love God, but you weren't reborn yet in Jesus. He didn't love you because of any desires in your heart. It wasn't because we're good or powerful or have potential or anything like that. He loved us because he loved us. It's all in his love, rooted in his love. So uh, this simple statement, Jesus didn't die for good people so he could reward them. He came and he died for ungodly people to restore them. 
all right? He didn't die for good people to reward them. He died for ungodly people to restore them. And in that restoration, give them a new identity. And then out of that new identity, we begin to live for him. But it's not to pay him back. It's not to show him, it's not to make him happy that he chose us or that he gave us salvation. It is just because he's changed us. And my new nature now leads me in this direction of life. Because your nature is going to direct you. It's DNA. When you come to Jesus, you, have, you get his DNA. And so you get his inclinations. You get his desires. That's the root of your identity. And from that point on, it really is a matter of learning how to walk that out and how to live that out. So much of it depends upon us renewing our minds so that we can understand in a better, fuller way what happened to us when we received Christ. And, and one of the issues is, we have so many wrong belief systems and we have so many habits and habits form patterns in our brains so that our brains are used to, when you stimulate it here, it's used to firing on this track. And so that becomes comfortable to us. And we have these habits we have to overcome and even wrong thought patterns that are also very comforting to us at times. Some of them are very comforting to us. And those hinder us from really entering in fully to what God's done for us. But when we begin to understand these truths and allow the Holy Spirit to make them living in us. So it's not just like I took a theology course and I learned these things about God and I passed the test. But so that these truths about God are becoming alive to me. It's what the Bible refers to as revelation. The Holy Spirit gives us revelation into who God actually is. He takes facts and he makes them alive in us, the Holy Spirit. It, you could have a hero in the sports realm, a baseball player, basketball, football, and you could know when they started. You could know where their hometown was. You could know all their high school statistics and college and pro stats and you could read everything you can read about them without knowing them, without having relationship with them. And, and it's, that's true with God too. People can do that without ever even being saved, without ever even inviting Jesus into their heart. But then sometimes people do get saved. They, they invite Jesus into their heart, but then because of wrong thinking, they focus on just the intellectual side. And, and what the Holy Spirit wants to do for each one of us is to reveal to us who the Father is, to reveal to us the truth of what our new identity is. And when we uh, look at this statement that knowing Jesus makes us as clean as him, it makes us as free as him, and it draws us into as intimate a relationship with the Father as he has. When we begin to understand that and see it, not just read it, not just hear it, but really begin to grasp it and see it, then our frame of reference changes. And it's like we have a different view of life. It's exactly what it is. We have a, we have a different view, a different worldview, a different view of my life and of my relationships and of who I am and of who God is. And that, and that frees us when we do that. Now, Romans 5.10, he takes it just a step further than he did in that other passage where he said we were ungodly and we were powerless. And in Romans 5.10, he says, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? 
And what he's doing here is drawing a comparison between two things. And he says, uh, he's banking on this, he's basing this on this theology that when Jesus died on the cross, at that moment, I died with him. My old person died with him. So let me ask you uh, this question. Do we have any time travelers in the room? Anybody here a time traveler? Got one right there. Anybody else? Over here. You know, you guys are right. We are all time travelers. Did you know that? We are traveling into the future at one second per second. So we're all moving ahead. We're all in time. Okay, that wasn't as funny as I thought it would be. <laughs> My mother used to tell me, she'd, well, she told me this several times anyway. She'd say, Van, you say things and then you laugh at them and they're not even funny. <laughs> so mom was right after all. All right, here's the thing. Jesus died 2,000 years ago. I wasn't even alive then. But somehow, when I open my heart to Jesus, God makes it possible through the work of Christ for me to be kind of transported to his cross, and my life is put in him at the cross. And when he breathed his last, my old person died with him. The person I was up till that point in time, the powerless, ungodly sinner, died with Christ. And he says that, and then he goes on to say, if that's true, then how much more, having been reconciled with God, with the Father, that reconciles my life with the Father, how much more shall I be saved through his life? You see, his death happened 2,000 years ago, as did his resurrection, but he's still alive today. So he's saying, if God could take me and put me at the cross with him so that my old person died, well, how much more, knowing that Jesus is alive today and the Holy Spirit is here, how much more am I going to benefit from being part of his life today and the power of God in my life today? How much more? And so it's, he's, he's trying to show us here just the beauty and the wonder of the grace of God, the love of God mercy of God, that it's grace, it's grace at the beginning, it's grace when, when I enter into Jesus, and it's grace from that point on, that's how I grow, is through grace, it's not me, it's not my effort. Now, I have effort because I'm new, uh, I, I try because I'm new, because he's made me new, and I have his DNA in me, and I want to get close to him, but it's, it's his empowering, it's his life, his ongoing life that causes me to desire, that causes me to, to move ahead in, in relationship with him. And so Romans 6, 5 um, kind of draws this to this little part of the message to a conclusion. But it, the word here is united that I want you to see. Romans 6, 5, united. It says this, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. You can see how these verses all have a similar type of flow to them. And, and he's saying united means union, to be joined together. A union is when, well, the, the best illustration of union is marriage. We say you enter into the marriage union. That means two become what? One. 
That was God's plan, to become one. They become one and they share in life together. And what belongs to the one belongs to the other. And what belongs to this one belongs to that one. And so when he says we've been united with Christ, it's like saying we've been, we've been brought into union with Jesus, just like a marriage relationship. And what is his is ours. And our lives overlap with his life now. And so union with Christ is the basis for everything we have. The love of God's the foundational motivation for it all. The death of Christ on the cross and the resurrection is the means through which it all comes to us. But when we open our hearts to Jesus, we enter into union with him. And it is that ongoing union with him that enlivens, uh, that gives us life and enables us to walk out what it means to be a Christian and to begin to actually experience what we have become at the moment we accepted Christ. And so that brings me again to this thought that we're as clean as Jesus. I want to go to that point right now and just say, you are as clean as Jesus because you're in union with him, because you have, his, you have his righteousness. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, he made him who knew no sin, Jesus never sinned, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You could almost read that in union with him. So when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just make a payment for sin. It's like, like if I went into a court and I paid someone's fine, I could pull my wallet out. You know, here's a hundred dollars, judge. I paid their fine. It, it's, it's more than that. He, it, it includes that, but it's more than that. Jesus actually took upon himself our sin, our wrong. And, and by the way, sin simply means us kind of in one respect, coloring outside the lines, Sin is us living, thinking, acting in a way that God did not create us to live, think, or act. And so it's, he created us, he, he designed us, he made us to live this way, and when we step outside that and we live another way, then that's what the Bible calls sin. And so Jesus actually took our sin into himself. It says he became sin for us. And that, that's like, how could God take sin into himself when the Bible says that God can't even look on sin? And you think about it, for Jesus, the son of God who had never sinned, what, what, what a horrible moment that must have been. You know, how, 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 how absolutely abhorrent it must have been for him to actually take sin into himself. And so he did that so that he could give us his righteousness and so here I have all this sin, and Jesus says, I'll take it. And, and, and it all gets heaped, not on him, but into him. And he says, here, you take my righteousness. And he doesn't just give it to me to carry, he puts it in me. I heard this illustration given years ago uh, of, of two people, one perfectly healthy, the other with lung cancer. And the one with lung cancer, the one with, with the healthy lungs is willing to give those healthy lungs to the one with the cancerous lungs. And so they go through the surgery and they have a transplant. And the, the man who was dying because he had cancer in his lungs receives the healthy lungs and now he lives. But the one who was living because he's taking the cancer of the other into his body, he dies. 
Well, that's what Jesus did. That's what he did for us. And he made us righteous in the process. He made us right with God. He made us exactly what God created us to be. As, as someone said the other night, one of our Wednesday night classes, he made me the same as I would be if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned. That's what he did. He put us into a condition where we would be in if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned. And so we become the righteousness of God in him. And there's nothing cleaner than the righteousness of God. Can we all agree to that? Yes. You can't get better than that. So 1 John 1, 7 says, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. I like the way that translation takes it. The word means cleanses, purifies, but he purifies us from sin. You know, you're pure, you're clean, you're as clean as Jesus is. If, if you've accepted Jesus, then you are. Romans 8.1 says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So there's no condemnation because we are new, we are righteous, we are pure, we are clean. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't still sin, but sin doesn't determine what I am. Adam and Eve sinned before they fell. Okay, they weren't fallen when they looked at the fruit and decided to eat it. That was before, it was when they ate it, then they became fallen. So they conceived the whole process, picked up the fruit, bit into it. And that was the moment at which they became sinners. And yet when Jesus took our sin on himself, he made it possible for us to become righteous. And so when, we'll think of it like this. Before I accepted Christ, I did good things, but that didn't make me righteous. It didn't, it didn't change my heart, the fact that I was at times a good son or a good friend. And now that I am righteous, if I sin, it doesn't revert and make me a sinner at the na- at core, at nature, in nature. And so for us to recognize this, that uh, there's no condemnation, we are free, we're clean, we're as clean as Jesus. And you know, Jesus at one point said, the devil's coming Uh, But he has no grip on me. He has no hold on me. And what he meant by that was there was no sin in him for the devil to grab hold of and for the devil to to tweak and and to draw him away. Now, before I accepted Christ, there was lots of that in me. There were a hundred buttons he could push and all these different, and he could get hold of me. But once you accept Christ, the only thing that can draw us away is our own wrongheaded thinking. When we don't recognize truth or we don't really grow in understanding truth, it's a growth process. It doesn't happen all instantly. But if I'm growing in understanding truth, then that, that frees me from, from Satan having something to grab hold of in my life and draw me away. And so away from God. So we're clean. Second, you're as free as Jesus. And here, here in Romans 8, 2, it says... For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What he's talking about law here is like the principle, the principle of spiritual life in Christ. Kind of like you would say the law of gravity. You know, it's, it's a law, but it's not like a list of rules. It's, it's just a principle that is true. And so he says the, the principle of spiritual life in Christ He says, that has set us free from that principle or that law of sin and death. And the law of sin and death says that 
if you're an old person, if, if you're not born again, if you're not a believer, then sin and death have a grip on you. They have a grip on you at the very core of who you are. And, but when you accept Jesus, then it loses its grip. And I have to understand that. I have to know that so I can begin to walk free of it. Then John eight thirty six says this, if the son makes you free, you are free indeed. Now, I like the translation because it's really emphatic, but it means you are in reality free. You are in reality. If the sun makes you free, then the reality is you are free. You might not feel like it. You might not always see it or experience it, but the reality is you are free. And we live, I think so often, we see things in the Bible And we think, well, yeah, I believe that, but I live in a real world. Have you ever thought that? Yeah, I believe that that I'm new, but I live in a real world. And in this real world, I'm not new. As if there's a, a spiritual truth and then there's a real truth. And what this verse is saying is God's truth is reality. God's truth is reality. What God says, that's truth, that is reality, and it supersedes anything we experience in this world or in, 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 in our, in our uh, current state. And so you're, you're in reality free. Galatians 5.1, he says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. I like that kind of wording too because it's a double use of the word free, and of course we know it was for freedom that we were set free, but it's just a way to make it emphatic, we're free. You are as free as Jesus. And the third thing, you're as close to the Father as Jesus. You're as close to the Father as Jesus. And th- this is perhaps the most amazing and stunning of these three statements. John seventeen twenty six, Jesus said this. He's praying. He's praying to the Father. And Jesus says, I have revealed you to them. Meaning the Father, I've revealed you to them. That's revelation. He, he, it's more. He said, I've gone beyond simply telling them about you. I've revealed you to them so that they have seen you. They have experienced you. They know who you are. And, and he says, I've revealed you to them. And, and I'll continue to do so. He says, then your love for me will be in them and I will be in them. Now look at that last phrase. Jesus says this, then Father... Your love for me, Jesus is saying, will be in my followers. So the Father's love for Jesus. Jesus says, I've revealed the Father to you as a believer in Christ. And the closer you grow to him, the more you're going to love Jesus. He's because he loves Jesus. And you're going to start to love Jesus like the Father loves Jesus. Does that make sense? Okay, so there's this intimacy of this connection with the triune God that we have, and it's the Holy Spirit who is the one who is God present with us who just makes all this real. He's the one who reveals. He's the one who brings truth to us in this, in this, in this way that enables us to experience it. And then in John 17, 23, Jesus said this. He said, I am in them, and you are in me to the Father. So Jesus says, I'm in my followers, my believers, my disciples, and Father, you are in me. So that means Father's in Jesus, Jesus is in me, that means the Father's in me, and Jesus are in me. And then he goes on to say this, 
he, he makes a, 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 an elliptical statement there that I didn't put in because it would take too long to explain. But he says this, that the world will know that you sent me, and here's what I want you to see, and that you love them as much as you love me. Hear that again. You love them. That means if you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus is saying that God the Father loves you as much as he loves his own son, as much as he loves Jesus. Now, I I think a lot of us have this notion that God the Father kind of tolerates us because we're friends with his kid. I mean, I remember as a kid, I had one guy that was my best friend. I was very welcome at his home, almost like a son, not quite, but very welcome and free there. But there were other guys, you know, that I wasn't as good friends with. And and I'd go home with them periodically. And then it's kind of like, there's whispering. And then, well, yeah, you can stay for dinner, you know, because you're here with our friend and we're kind of like forced to have you for dinner right now. And, and we kind of like feel like that, that that's how God the Father really looks at us. But he doesn't. God the Father took his son and he said, hey, son, you see that kid over there? And, and God the Father's son says, yeah, man, he's the baddest kid in the class. He's bad kid, trouble. And the father says, I want you to become friends with him because I want to adopt him. And the son says, what? Do I want him as a brother? I don't know. But the father says, no, go get him, bring him back. And let's get to know him. He's a troubled kid. We're going to love him. We're going to love him right into righteousness. We're going to do whatever it takes to bring him into our family. And, and that's how God looks at us. So it doesn't make any difference what you've done, how far away from God you've strayed, where you've been, uh, the mistakes you've made. God's looking at you and saying, yep, I want her. Yep, I want him. And if, he already, if you already know him, if you've already accepted Christ, then he's just saying, oh, I just want to be closer. And, and it's almost like we're standing with our backs to him like this hunched over in fear because we think he's mad at us. And he's just standing right here, right behind us, just saying, come on, what's wrong? Come on, come on, come on. I love you. Just turn around and accept my love, accept my embrace. And so... This, this closeness with the Father is something that will set us free, and, and it will preclude so many other things in our lives that, uh, that trip us up. And, and I'm just going to end with this. One of the things that keeps us from experiencing everything I'm talking about uh, is just wrong thinking. You know, when I think, well, I'm just a sinner, and, and no, you know, you're not. You're righteous. You have DNA. You have Jesus' DNA in you. You're righteous. Or if you think to yourself, well, I'm a loser, No, you're not. You're in union with Christ. He's a winner. He defeated. He he won the biggest battle in the universe. And you're in him. You're in union with him. You're not a loser. You know, I just, uh, I'll never be loved. You're already loved. You're already loved. You know, I'm different. No, you're not. You're You're like all the rest of us. There's no temptation that's taken anybody that is unique or, or un, out of the ordinary. And, and this, some of these thoughts, though, they get locked into our minds, and then, and then it's like it's hard to maneuver around them. And that's when we think, well, I know the Bible says that, but the reality is, you know, I'm really less than others. And the reality is you're believing a lie, that's the reality. And the reality is you just need to be set free from that lie. You need to recognize that's a lie. 
and reject it and, and replace it with truth, with God's truth, and allow the Holy Spirit just to kind of like massage it right into your being so that it replaces the wrong thinking. And then as, as we experience that, we're, we're freed then from the junk just to walk in the freedom of who we are in Christ, that, that we are as pure as him, that we're as, as free as him, and that we have this incredibly close, intimate relationship with the Father, just like he has. Some of the things that hinder it can be almost good things. I, I just realized not long ago that um, I remember the time I was with my dad, and we were walking, and he said, Van, he said, you always have to think about how what you're going to say or do is going to make other people feel. Because some people don't care about other people's feelings, but you have to care about how other people feel. Now, that was a good thing he was teaching me. For some reason, I latched on to that, and that became like this almost imbalanced thing inside of me, so that there were been, I can't tell you how many times I've walked out of a room and then I had this little panicky feeling, did I make anybody feel bad in the room? Oh, when I didn't hand that glass to them, when I didn't you know, hand them the nuts, did that make them feel bad? Or, or, I mean, and then how many times that has kept me from lovingly speaking truth to somebody because I'm all twisted up inside thinking, well, I know this is true and I know they really need to hear it, but am I going to make them feel bad if I give it to them? And, and so th- that was a good thing, but somehow in my mind, I, I, I made it something that was a hindrance to me. Things like, it might be good stuff like that. Or it might be things that were spoken against you, words from authority figures or parents or a spouse uh, or a close relationship that, that you're no good, that whoever loved you, that it's all your fault, it's always your fault, you're always the one. Or that you're an addict, and yeah, you're an no. Your nature, if you're if you if you know Jesus, you might you might have some struggles in some areas, but don't call yourself an addict. You're new in Christ. You're new in Christ. You're free. Or or it might be that that someone spoke words over you that that have locked into your mind failure. You know, I'll never succeed. I'm a failure. And, and those things we have to just uncover, hold them up to Jesus, and let him take them away. Because the Bible says that God heals the brokenhearted. Psalm 147.3 or 10, uh, one, one of, uh, yeah, 147.3. So if you've ever thought I'm worthless, I'm too weak, I'm rejected, I'm unlovable, I'm trapped. Those are all words that we want to break, okay? We're going to pray right now. And, uh, and, and if you've had like some, some value that was a good value that you've blown out of proportion like I did with the, you know, caring about other people's feelings. Um, I mean, you should care about other people's feelings, okay? But you can, you can take a good thing like that and make it too much. If there's something like that, that, that needs to be acknowledged and just uh, broken off too. So... Let's pray right now. I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit's presence, and we're going to pray, and then we're going to come out of this, we're going to do our offering, then we're going to take communion. So I kind of want to attach this whole time to the communion we're going to take, where we actually just express our union with Jesus in this tangible way. But uh, Holy Spirit, we invite your presence. We just welcome your presence here right now. Speak to us individually. I just ask you, Father, bring up one thing.
in each of our minds one point of wrong belief or of wounding. All right, if you have what it is, then pray, pray like this with me. If, if it's a wrong belief, just pray this. Father, I've believed this wrongly. I have taken this too far, and it's hindered me in my relationships. It's hindered me in trusting you. And I, and I just, I open that up to you right now and ask you for healing in that area. In Jesus' name. If it is a word that was spoken against you, you'll never succeed, you're a failure, you're no good. If it was a word spoken against you like that, then in, in Jesus' name right now, just say this, Father, uh, th- that word was spoken to me. It might have been in elementary school or high school or, or college or at work or, or within just the last week. That word was spoken to me and it wounded my heart. Father, you're the one who heals wounded hearts. So I just open that up to you right now. Holy Spirit, bring healing. And now just make an affirmation of the truth. If it was I'm rejected, then you say, before you, God, I confess that I'm accepted. If it was that I'm unlovable, then you just say, before you, God, I accept that I am lovable and I am loved. Yeah, Holy Spirit, we just we thank you for freedom. And and I just pray for a spirit of joy for the rest of this time to come on us. Just a spirit of joy come on us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we're going to receive our offering right now. Thank you for giving. Uh, uh, we're going to give a report on the giving here in a, in a couple of weeks. But it's been, you've been given really wonderfully and it just frees this church to do the things God wants us to do. It frees me to sleep at night. And um, so thank you. You can give right now, uh, make a check out to Vineyard Northwest or you can give online. A lot of people are giving online. And I think the key thing is that our giving is the first thing we do with our money. We're gonna talk more about that another time. But... Um, All right, thank you, Jesus. Bless these offerings. Bless the families in this church. Bless the businesses represented here with great prosperity and fruitfulness. Bless all the homes and the families here with uh, better jobs, with unexpected raises, with promotions. Just bless in Jesus' name. All right, if you're going to serve communion, you can get ready for that now. Otherwise, um, we are going to go into worship. And the communion servers will be coming up to the front here any moment now and uh, getting in position. It's just participate in communion as you feel you're ready to. We take that little cracker. That represents the body of Jesus which hung on that cross. And remember, he became sin for us. And, and that juice represents his blood which he shed for us so we could be forgiven. And so you take the cracker and you dip it in the juice and you just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for dying for me. I honor you. You're proclaiming your union with Christ when you do this. There is freedom and healing in this, not because of the elements, but because of the whole event. 
So let's all stand, okay? And Father God, thank you for your goodness and love. And we're going to worship you now, not only with our words, but with our actions. Jesus' name, amen.